All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, kids, y'all can go ahead and go to City Light Kids. So grateful you're here this morning. We have servant leaders in the back, parents. If you just want to let your kids go that way, uh, we'd be happy to take them to their rooms. If you'd like to take them yourself, that's totally, obviously great as well. Uh, we also have our Spanish Bible study. So if you want to join us there and have the word in your heart language, we'd love for you to join us uh, in room 120. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible there. If you don't have a... Um, uh, a Luke journal. We have them in the back. We would love to pass them out to you. So you may have missed when we pass these out a few times. This for you. It's free for you. We'd love for you to use this to read the Bible on your own. So if you need one, raise your hand. Somebody will bring it to you. You want this Luke journal, raise your hand. Somebody will bring it to you and you can use it to write stuff down. Take it. It's yours. We would love for you to have that as well. Uh, so today I'm super excited. We have a, a few things to share. Uh, before we jump into the Word, I wanted to update everybody uh, on the building process. So I know many of you have been praying last week. Uh, we told you that on Tuesday we would find out uh, some more information about the building and about what God is doing and about what doors He is opening. So on Tuesday, uh, we found out that the initial lease for this new location has been approved uh, for the very first part of it. So you can praise God for that. That's really, really, really good news. On the 27th now is when the state board uh, decides what to do with the property, and more than likely, 99.9% .9 of it seems to be that they will agree with the local decision and we'll be able to move forward then. But on February 27th at 12 p.m., you can mark that in your calendars, that's when they're going to meet and make the final decision over this new location. So in light of the fact that it's becoming more and more real, I wanted to show you a picture to give you an address. Hey, look at this old, old church building here. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's exciting. Look at that. It's got a steeple and everything, okay? So, red brick steeple. We're going old school, right? Uh, and so we're excited. The address, for those of you who want to drive by it and pray over it, is 2929 Graham Road, Falls Church, Virginia. 2929 Graham Road, Falls Church, Virginia. It's uh, literally five minutes, not even, maybe three-minute drive from right here. So uh, it's in the exact same community that we're already in. So in light of that, I just want to say a couple of quick things and then give you some prayer points before we jump into God's Word. Number one, I want you to remember the vision and the mission God has given us as City Light Church. Our mission is to shine the light of Christ in dark and hard places, to bring real hope and help to all people. Our vision is to plant, to shine light by planting community-centered churches that can bless communities spiritually and physically. This is what we came here to do. So for us, this would be starting what we want to call the City Light Center in the same place that we run City Light Church. We have wanted to do this from day one to integrate building with mission. As I've said over and over again, we did not come to this new location just to run services, but by God's will and by God's timing to open up a place where we can serve the community 24-7, be a real light to provide real help for real needs, and also begin to build a house of prayer where we can seek the Lord, where people can come find hope in Jesus or find help from his people 24-7 whenever they can make it. Does that sound good? Yes, okay, this still sounds good to everybody. Uh, and so this is what we came here to do. 
So this building helps facilitate what we came here to do. I want to make sure everybody knows we're not moving to make Sundays more comfortable so we don't have to set up and tear down. Uh, we're not moving so that we can, which some people are excited about, I'm sure. Uh, we're not moving just because churches need a building or whatever. I'm, I love doing services here. We could do it here for a long time. But we're moving because God seems to have opened a door for us to do what he sent us here to do. We're not moving to work less but to work more. It's going to take more work to be in this building. It's going to take more work to serve the community 24-7. It's going to take more investment to do that. So we're not moving to make life easier on ourselves. We're moving to make it more difficult for us so that other people can hear about Jesus. So uh, another uh, other thing with this, I know some of you may feel like, man, this, this came fast. Wow, like this is, uh, we're five months old. Uh, everything seems to be going fast. And I would completely agree with you on that. And all I would want to say is we are simply trying to keep up with what God is doing. That's literally it. When people ask me how are things going at City Light, I say we're just riding the wind of the Spirit. Because I don't really know how else to explain it other than God seems to be moving at, at, a, at a pace that people can't keep up with. And we're just scrambling just like in Acts to continue to step into the doors God keeps opening for us. And so we're just trying to keep up with what the Lord is doing around us. Let me tell you how this particular location came to be. This is amazing uh, when you think about what God has been doing. So since we started this church, we were looking for space because we wanted to do this already. So uh, we were looking for doors God might open. Obviously, space in 495 in the Beltway is difficult to come by. So we were looking at office space, old restaurants, whatever it might be. And we had put a lot of effort into that. We had a real estate agent. We were constantly looking, looking, looking to see what doors might God might open. Uh, we went into places with mildew on the ground. We had to wear masks. We went into places that all sorts of crazy things we were looking at. Time and time again, we put some time and energy in this to try to find something uh, for us to be able to serve the community 24-7, even if it couldn't fit our whole church, which is what we would prefer so that we can do everything together. Looking, looking, looking. Well, on January 5th, we started our 21 days of prayer and fasting which I just love more and more. Even this morning, over and over again, I hear different testimonies of the Lord working through that 21 days. So we started 21 days of prayer and fasting, which we prayed for a lot of things, not just a location. That wasn't even like one of the main prayer requests. Uh, we're just praying for the Lord to work in our hearts. We'd be a living sacrifice. So we started on January 5th. On January 19th, uh, on January 23rd, which is the 19th day of the prayer and fasting, I went back to Citywide, which was the old ministry I used to run, for the first time since I left. I had not been back there since I left. Uh, I was there for a different reason. I stopped by. So the happenstance was that I stopped by. God's plan was for me to meet someone there who knew about this, who I didn't know about this location. I hadn't heard about it. I meet somebody there, and he brings it up to me. And he's like, man, I meant to tell you, but I forgot. And I'm like, okay, praise God, I was here tonight for you to tell me. So that was the 19th day. On the 21st day of our prayer and fasting, right smack in the middle of our 12 hours of seeking the Lord, I get a call from the pastor. I get a call from the pastor of this location uh, on the 21st day to begin to talk through what it would look like for us to possibly go into that space. They were in there before. It had not worked out like had planned, and so they were going to leave and looking for a new tenant. And so God had put that on their schedule and their timing, and then God had brought it to our attention on the 21st day of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. God brought something to us that our real estate agent did not find, something that we did not find on the Internet. He brought something to us that our efforts did not accomplish. And he, li he laid it into our lap in the middle of his people praying. And I want you to see something that we should learn from this so much as we continue to serve the Lord together is that we said this over and over again, prayer is the work. 
Prayer is the actual work. Prayer is kicking the ball forward. Prayer is what gets God to move on our behalf. And so the Lord drops us into our laps. Everything since then has been an open door. Every conversation has been an open door. Every price has been an open door. Everything that we're seeing God open up has just been a no-brainer, both with me and our advisory board and some of the other pastors around here that are helping us make these kinds of decisions. It has been a no-brainer from day one. And it really seems like God is doing this for us on our behalf, opening the right door at just the right time to fulfill the mission that we came here to do. And so I want to make sure you guys know exactly how this came about. And I want you to pray now. We have three things to pray about. We're going to put them on the screen. You should write these down. Pray for the mission of City Light, that God would continue to use us to reach and restore our city, no matter where we end up. So pray that God would use us no matter what. Pray for the mission. Pray for the meeting on February 27th. At 12 p.m., if you can mark your calendar, set an alarm, that God would grant favor to us and that he would open the door one final time. And then number three, pray for resources that will be needed to move the mission forward, both for the building, for any renovation, and all of the mission that we want to do at that point in time. When we move in, just so you know, it is a two-year lease. It's not buying the space yet. After two years, they want to decide what to do with it, and we'll all know how we can move forward with that. So that's what that looks like uh, with us moving towards that on the 27th, we'll know, and then we'll have more information after the 27th on what that may look like for our church. Everybody got it? Got it. Are we excited? This is good news, okay? This is really good news. This is good news. All right. So in light of that, be praying. Remember, prayer is the word. We're going to jump into Luke 8, uh, which is going to be important for us as we continue to talk through the process. So look at Luke 8. And find it there. And as we prepare to jump into God's word, I want to pray um, over our time, pray over the building, pray over all that God is doing. So would you join me in that? And Heavenly Father, we love you. We commit this time to you. We're so thankful for your work in our life. We're so thankful that you are opening doors. We're so thankful to be following you in the work that you have for us. Uh, Lord, your word says in Proverbs 16:9, a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so, Lord, we're, we're asking you to continue to establish the steps that are good, establish the steps that will bring glory to your name, establish the steps that will reach this city, establish the steps that will bring hope to the broken, establish the steps, Lord, that will allow us to do the mission you sent us here to do. Lord, we submit to your will. We submit to your way. We're excited about all you're doing, God, and we will continue to follow you wherever you lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. All right, so Luke 8. I'm just going to read these first three verses. Look at it with me. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. We're going to see a lot of interesting things just from these few verses. So we have one more week, including this one, so this week and next week, to talk about the process. We want to make a difference. We have a desire in our hearts to make a difference. But the question for many of us is, how do we make a difference? What's the plan? Like the video said, what's the process? What are we doing? And we've been talking about how there are no shortcuts in the process, no side doors. It requires us to follow Jesus in and through the hard things, to persevere, to wait, to follow his plan. We've talked about how the process is empowered by an encounter with Jesus. When Peter meets Jesus, his whole life has changed. And that's the idea for us. That's the idea for everyone around us. Everyone needs to meet Jesus. That's the point of the process. 
We've talked about reach, restore, and repeat, our three words to help us navigate practical ways for us to serve. If you missed that sermon, please find it on our podcast. It's very important for you to understand how we're actually going to go about this model. Today, in Luke 6 through 8, we're going to summarize and see exactly how does Jesus implement his ministry. The thing for us has been we want to follow and model the way of Jesus. We want to do things like Jesus did them. What was his process to change the world? What was Jesus' way? What plan did he execute? And so we saw in Luke 4 how Jesus summarized his ministry. And we say yes and amen. We want to do it that way. We saw in Luke 5 how Jesus called his disciples and how a meeting with Jesus was what changed their life. We say yes and amen. We see in Luke 6 through 8 exactly what he did with them to prepare them to serve. And we see next week in Luke 9 and 10 how Jesus sent them out to go do the same thing. This is the way of Jesus. This is his process. So today's sermon is called On the Job Training. On the Job Training. Turn to your neighbor and say, get on the job. Get on the job, on the job training, okay? This is the way of Jesus. And intuitively, we all know this is the way that people learn. On the job training, feet in the fire. We know this in business. We practice this all the time in the business world by giving young, inexperienced, but promising people legitimate responsibility and allowing them to learn on the job. Everybody, it might not be many of you, but everybody in in my world who's been to seminary knows there's a thousand things about being a pastor that seminary does not teach you. You learn on the job. Those of you who are parents know that no matter what parenting book you might have read to help prepare you for parenting, you're learning every day on the job. You learn while you parent. You are consistently adjusting and learning. This is how it works. Everybody who's been in any environment where you must learn and grow know you've learned the most on the job. No matter what books you read, no matter how many classroom settings you sat in, no matter how many lectures you have received, you learned more in one hour of doing it than probably 10 hours of being taught it. You learn on the job. This is how it works. Everybody who's helped us start this church has learned on the job. People are like, how do you do audio? Well, we'll find out. We'll learn on the job, all right? You get a two-hour lesson, and then you got to go run church every week. You learn on the job. Everybody's been learning on the job, and everybody's slowly and progressively getting better because that's how it works. You learn on the job. The business world knows this. You and I intuitively know this. Jesus did it this way. And the funny thing is in the Christian sphere, we have a difficulty living this out. We prioritize learning in classrooms, in safe spaces, and in places where we can learn information, and so often don't expect people to learn by practice, to learn by implementation, to learn by getting in the field, to learn by growing and doing it. One of my favorite things about Jesus is when he reaches somebody and calls them and saves them, he does not say, why don't you sit over here and let me teach you a few things. What does he say? He says, come, follow me as I go into the world, and you're going to learn as you watch what I do, and you're going to do the things that I am doing. Jesus taught via on-the-job training. So this is what I want for us as a church. This is how we expect to learn and grow together, is to consistently be learning in the field, on the job, to train as we grow and as we learn. One of the things I've noticed about church life is we separate what we call evangelism, which is sharing the gospel, with discipleship, which is growing in the faith you've already believed in. Jesus does not do this. Jesus does not have two compartments for the Christian life. Jesus does not have two compartments for doing ministry. Jesus sees his whole life as an opportunity to make disciples. And he reaches some for the very first time, and then he restores them as they join him on mission. But the whole time, Jesus is doing the same thing. He doesn't have two different ways to do ministry. He has one, and he's doing it all together at the same time. 
He's reaching and restoring. So I want you to see this in Luke. I want you to see exactly how this plays out. So you saw there it says, he went through the cities and villages and he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So we saw this in Isaiah 61, right? This is body and soul ministry. He's healing and he's teaching. He's proclaiming and bringing. He's doing the ministry he was called to do that he's gonna give to his disciples, that he's eventually gonna give to his church that we're gonna live out. We are body and soul people proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God. This is what he is doing. But look who he's doing it with. At the, at the end of verse one, he's doing that and the 12 were with him. And then also some women who had been healed of evil spirits Mary, whose seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, he basically called 12 disciples, he picked some people that he had healed, and some people that wanted to support his ministry, and as soon as they followed him, they entered into his world, and they began to do the things that he was doing. He brought them along with him. This is amazing. You should look at this. I love this group of people, okay? The 12 disciples were basically a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, a bunch of people you would not think would be leaders of a movement. Who else is included in this is a bunch of women who would have been looked down upon in society because of their past. Who would not have been elevated to a place of usefulness in the society that they lived in. There was also a lady from the White House who you'll notice here. Uh, her name is Joanna, who is in Herod's household, which is the government. You have her there. You have tax collectors, women, fishermen, a lady from the White House. You have the poor and the wealthy. You have men and women. You have nobodies and important people, different backgrounds, different social statuses, all a part of Jesus' squad, all given equal status now as sons and daughters of the king. Jesus is bringing these worlds together. In Luke 5, after Levi, who's also called Matthew, starts following Jesus, he throws him a party. This is what he knows to do. He knows how to throw good parties, so he throws Jesus a good party as soon as Jesus says, follow me. And this is what happened. It said, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love this attitude of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus. We have to see this both for you in the room and for the people that we want to go serve and help them meet Jesus. If you feel like an outcast, you are a perfect fit for the family of Jesus. A perfect fit. If you feel like you don't belong in church, you, are a, you belong with Jesus. If you feel like you could never be loved, I want you to know you are loved by Jesus. If you feel like no one values your life, your opinions, your input, and your pure existence, I want you to know that Jesus values you so much that he died for you so he could bring you into his family. For those of you in the room who are powerful and mighty, who have highly respected positions in society, I want you to know Jesus welcomes you into his family as well, but not because of what you do, but because he made you. You do not have to earn Jesus' love. You don't have to perform to earn his grace. You don't have to keep doing well to stay in his good graces. You can rest with him. You belong with Jesus. He does not love you because of your status or your accomplishments. He loves you because he made you and because of who you are. To the women in the room who feel unseen and mistreated, who maybe have lived the life you regret before and are now trying to recover from that, I want you to know Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. He is welcoming you. He is offering you a new life in his name, a new identity with a new family. Though you may be looked down on by other people, Jesus highly esteems you. But you may feel excluded, Jesus wants to include you. 
These are true across the board, time and time again. I could tell a thousand other stories with different scenarios. What Jesus is doing here is calling all people to himself and giving an example to the world around him that anyone can follow Jesus and that Jesus has room in his heart and a great love for people from all walks of life, no matter what you have done. So these are the circles that Jesus walked in. Therefore, these are the circles that we should be walking in, especially here in D.C., when all kinds of diversity is available to us. Our circle should look like Jesus' circle. Otherwise, we're not modeling his way. So I want you to think of a few questions here. I'm going to give you a few questions to help you evaluate what your circle looks like, whether you're walking in the path of Jesus to be near to the people that Jesus was near. Here they are. Where are you going, and who are you bringing along with you? Where are you going? in life, and who are you bringing with you? Where are you going? What are you doing on a daily basis? And who are you bringing with you? Is anybody learning on the job with you? Is anybody learning on the job from your own walk with the Lord? Is anybody coming along with you? And where are you going? Are you living with intentionality? Are you inviting certain people into your life on purpose? What are you doing with your life? Where are you going? And who are you bringing with you? This is the way of Jesus, and this is the life he calls his disciples to live. The second question, is your process, or a.k.a. your path in life, getting you in proximity to those who are far from God? Is your process getting you in proximity to those who are far from God? Are the decisions that you make on a daily basis helping you get into proximity with those who are far from God so you can share the message of Christ and his love with them? Does your process get you in people's lives in a way that allows you to share the gospel and make a difference? Is your process getting you in proximity to those who are far from God. That does not mean, do you go to a normal workplace where most people don't know Jesus? That means, are you making intentional decisions at your workplace to get you in close proximity with people so you can share the gospel with them? Are you getting in proximity with them? Third question, is your process getting you in proximity to the poor, the marginalized, and the looked down upon in our society? Is your process, your path of life, the way that you live, does it get you in proximity to the poor, the marginalized, the ostracized, or the looked down upon in society? Does your squad look like Jesus' squad at any level? How about this one? Does your way of life make people from other ways of life feel welcome? Does your way of life make people from other ways of life feel welcome? Does the way that you live with the heart of Jesus, make other people attracted to that, make them feel welcome as opposed to judged or left out? Does your way of life make people from other ways of life feel welcome? Would people even want to be in your circle because of the way that you live? Last question. What are you doing in the path God has already opened up for you? What new path does God want you to take to live in a way more aligned with the example of Jesus? Really, this could be the sermon at all. If you took these five questions and really thought about it, thought about how you're living, thought about whether it's really in the model and the way of Jesus, thought about ways you could adjust, even small ways, ways this church can help you adjust to take the path that Jesus calls you to, this should be the way each one of us are living in our own spheres of influence and therefore gathering all these people who are far from God, who are looked down upon in society, who hear the good news and come to know Jesus. This is the way of life that we should be modeling day in and day out. This is the path and the process of Jesus. So I want you to really take these five questions seriously. Write them down. We would love for you to think through that more. So 
this group that Jesus has is basically his lighthouse, as we would call it. We call it lighthouses. This is Jesus' group. This is Jesus' lighthouse. This is his squad. They have been reached by the gospel and now are in the process of being restored to Jesus. He is teaching them how to walk with God by example. This is on-the-job training, feet in the fire, learn as you go. Like I said before, he does this with Peter. He reveals himself to him, and he says, from now on, you'll be catching men right away. Come with me. He does the same with Levi, a.k.a. Matthew. He says, right away, come follow me. He does this time and time again, over and over again. This is the way, this is the process of Jesus. This is the way and the process of Jesus' people. So I'm going to give you three quick things to do as you are going on the way of Jesus. So on-the-job training, what are three elements of on-the-job training? You're going to write these down. As you are following Jesus and bringing people along, you should be doing these three things. Number one, teaching the truth of God. Number two, showing the heart of God. And number three, demonstrating the power of God. So number one, teaching the truth of God. Number two, showing the heart of God. Number three, demonstrating the power of God. As you are going out and following Jesus and you're bringing people along for on-the-job training, what it looks like as you're training them is to teach the truth of God, show the heart of God, demonstrate the power of God. Then as we're going to see next week, release those people to go do the same thing on their own. Teach the truth of God, show the heart of God, demonstrate the power of God. So the first one is teaching the truth of God. Jesus taught, I love this about Jesus, principles of kingdom life in the midst of the sights, sounds, and smells of regular life. Jesus taught principles of kingdom life in the midst of sights, sounds, and smells of regular life. As he was going about his regular life, talking with people, interacting with people, having fun with people, going to parties with people, going on hilltops with people, whatever, Jesus is taking their normal lives and he's bringing kingdom principles into their normal life. He's not making the Christian walk or the Jesus way something like a thought, you know, as an abstract thought in the sky. He's making it something real to them that they can choose to follow, see, and experience. I've learned this probably the most through parenting, as you can take lots of moments in parenting and turn them into moments to help them learn more about Jesus. I do a very bad job at it probably most of the time, but my kids give me a great opportunity to try to do this more consistently, teaching kingdom life principles in the midst of the sights, smells, and sounds of regular life. There are so many things that happen at your workplace, within your family, and within your friend circle that point and that can help people point to Jesus, why they were made, what's the purpose of life, how is this thing going, why do you feel this way, why does the world think like this, all these things happening left and right around us that if we were aware of, we could really be present and help people. Let me give you uh, verses for this. So Luke 6, 17 through 19, it says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea. So he's with his disciples and then a larger crowd. From Jerusalem and the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, touch him because power was coming out from him. And so he's gathering these group of people, and he's beginning to teach them. As you're going to see, the rest of chapter 6 is Jesus teaching them a bunch of things I'm going to show you in summary, okay? Surrounded by people, he teaches them the Beatitudes, which you'll see both in Matthew 5 and here in Luke 6. Let me give you an example. The blessed life and the woeful life. He teaches why you would be blessed and why you would be cursed. What kind of life leads to blessing? What kind of life leads to cursing? This is chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. 
He taught them to love their enemies and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Regular life, dealing with people that are unkind to you. He used a picture of a speck in one eye, you guys know this, and a plank in another eye to teach about judgment, exercising good judgment. And the idea, right, which is very practical, is how are you going to pull out the speck in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own eye? How are you going to judge someone's lifestyle when you're living the same thing? How is that going to play out? He teaches us how to exercise good judgment. He used a picture of a tree around them with fruit coming from it to help people discern the condition of their hearts. This is Luke 6, 43 through 45. He teaches that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of your heart, your hands and feet operate. Your life is evidence to the condition of your heart. And if you want to know, man, where is my heart spiritually? Just look at your life. Look at the example you may be setting. Where are you serving? What attitudes are you demonstrating? Are you controlled by certain emotions? Are you living out a life that's hypocritical to what you claim to believe? Does your life give evidence to the condition of your heart? He used a picture of a house built on sand and a house built on rock to help people understand how to create a good foundation for their lives. This is chapter 6, 46 through 49. Principles of kingdom life in the midst of sight, sounds, and smells of regular life. Now, hear me this. The ability to do this requires that you would be present in the moment. Requires that you would not be so caught up with where you want to be or where you were. Not so caught up with what has happened to you before or what you want to happen to you in the future. Not so caught up with what's going on around you or the life you wish you had, but present. You cannot teach people the way of Jesus in the midst of regular life if you are not present in the midst of regular life. If you are not present, you cannot be proactive to teach. If you wish everything was always different, you cannot be present to help people navigate the way of Jesus. If you will not sit in your pain and are always trying to find a way out, there is no way for you to help other people sit in their pain with Jesus. If you're not living this out, people will not be able to follow you in it. And so many of us have our eyes pointed left, right, up, down, everywhere. Because we'd rather be anywhere but here. But this is where Jesus has put you, the season of life that you're in. Be present in the season of life you're in. Teach the truth of God as you go. Bring people along. Okay, the next thing is showing the heart of God. Teaching the truth of God, showing the heart of God. There's a really long story here. Uh, I'm going to have it on the screen, but I'm going to summarize it uh, to help you out. And he can just roll through it on the screen so you can see it. Basically, there's uh, a lady that's coming into Jesus' time with a party. So he's hanging out with a Pharisee, which is a religious leader, and they're kicking it. A lady comes in that's a prostitute. She begins to wipe his feet with oil. The Pharisee looks down on her and is thinking in his head, man, why would he allow this? This lady is improper. This lady should not be here with us. And then Jesus gives a story about forgiveness and an example. He basically turns the tables on the religious man and says, your heart is the one in the wrong place and her heart is the one that I honor and esteem. You may look down upon her because of her past, but I'm looking upon her now because of her present decision to follow me. Jesus is seeing her heart. He is seeing who she is. And instead of pushing her down in the place she belongs, he is pushing her up to be with him in the place she belongs with Jesus. The people around her see something that she's done. The people around her see the past that she has lived. The people around her see the bad decisions she has made. But Jesus sees a heart after him. Jesus sees someone sorry for what they have done. And Jesus sees someone that he made and that he loves. This is the heart of God. The heart of God is to look with compassion on those who are looked down on in society. This is the heart of God. The heart of God is to care about our heart, not our status. 
As it says in 1 Samuel with David, he was a man after God's own heart. God looks at the heart, although we may look at the outward appearance. The heart of God is forgiveness and mercy. The heart of God is to reject religiosity or a better than others mentality. The heart of God is to give peace and freedom to his children. This is God's heart. God's heart is to save sinners, not good people. There are none. The only people he can save are sinners. This is God's heart. So the question for us is, come on, what would people know about God's heart from watching the way you interact with other people? What would people know about God's heart from watching the way you interact? What do they learn about God's heart? How are you showing God's heart with the way you deal with people, the way you talk about people, even people that disagree with you, people that you think are making bad decisions? How do you interact with them? How do you talk about them? Are you showing the heart of God of mercy, kindness, forgiveness towards them? Is the heart of God something you're showing every day in your everyday interactions? This was very convicting to me because uh, my seven-year-old uh, began to notice every homeless person that we would pass. And as he began to notice them, he would always say, Daddy, give them something. Daddy, don't you care, Daddy. And I, just because I wasn't prepared, more often than not, I don't have cash because I'm a millennial and I don't have cash, okay? I just have a debit card and I'm not going to give him my debit card. You know, that's probably not the right decision. Uh, but I should be way more prepared, which is why we did last week, we did some blessing bags to help everybody be way more prepared, not just with homeless people, but anybody in general, uh, to show the heart of God. And in those situations, because I wasn't prepared and had nothing to give, I did not show the heart of God. My seven-year-old is asking and he's saying, isn't this what we do? This person is in need. Let's help that person. And because I am not prepared and because I am not ready to interact with different people of different situations and because, frankly, sometimes I just don't care like I should, like all of us in some ways and some levels, every time he sees somebody in a state like that, he exercises mercy and he wants to help them. And his dad, of all people, was not prepared to show the heart of God. And the more I began to have those situations come up, the more I began to say, I do not want my kid to raise thinking that these people aren't, I want him to think, this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God to be ready for this. This is the heart of God to not be forgetful. This is the heart of God to be merciful. This is the heart of God not to question a thousand things about what they're doing with everything. The heart of God is to extend mercy, to extend kindness, to extend hope. The heart of God is to be present in the midst of those situations. And so having my oldest begin to point that out in my life began to help me answer the question, man, how am I showing the heart of God to my children? How am I showing the heart of God in my behavior with people around me? If people were to follow me around and see my interactions with others, whether they're high social status or low, whether I agree with them or like them or don't, whatever the situation may be, what would people think the heart of God is? What would people think the heart of God at City Light is by meeting the people that come here? What would they think? So as you are going along and living the life God has called you to live, be intentional, be prepared to show the heart of God to those around you. This is a way you can help train on the job. This is a way you train your children on the job. This is a way you train your friends on the job. This is a way you train someone who just came to know Jesus on the job. Okay, the last one, demonstrating the power of God. Luke 8, 26 through 39. Once again, for the sake of time, I won't read the whole story. Basically, Jesus shows up in this scenario with this demon-possessed man. Nobody can help him at all. He shows up, and because he's Jesus, he has authority in the moment. He doesn't have any issues dealing with the problem. This man is full of demons. Jesus forces the demons out. The last part of the story is that people found the man sitting in his right mind, which is cool because Jesus found him in a broken spot, in a broken spirit, with a broken life. And because he met Jesus, he became whole again. He had met everybody in the world, and nobody could make him whole again. But when he met Jesus, he became whole again. 
sitting in his right mind. Everybody is amazed and freaking out. This guy wants to follow Jesus now because that's what people do when they meet Jesus in the Bible. Every time, can I come with you? Let's go. Like, I want to follow you. This is what people do. So if we claim to have met Jesus and have no desire to follow him in our daily life, I don't think we've really met Jesus. Every time in the Bible, we see people who want to get with Jesus, want to be with Jesus because their life has been changed by Jesus. So Jesus says, no, don't come to me. Actually, go back to your city and tell everyone how much God has done for you. And so you have a man broken Entrapped by demonic possession, nobody can help him. Jesus shows up, sets him free, and then sends him back on a mission to his city to share the good news of God to everyone that's around him. And I want you and I to think about how are we demonstrating the power of God in our everyday life? How are we demonstrating the power of God? There was a lot of examples, Jesus walking on water, raising somebody from the dead, over and over again that I could have picked. I picked this particular one from these chapters because I think it's the most useful and instructive for us as we try to implement exercising the power of God in our everyday life, exercising the power of God here in our spheres of influence. Jesus took a stand against the powers of darkness and he set this man free. And then he sends his disciples to go into the world to take a stand against the powers of darkness to set people free. We are not spiritually ignorant to think that everything is just what we can see. The Bible says we cannot be ignorant of the devil's schemes, that there are demons, there is a devil, there is spiritual oppression. People are broken not just because they make bad decisions, but because the devil hates them and wants to kill them and still and kill and destroy them. These are things that we know that we must remember if we're going to engage in the spiritual battle that's in front of us. That's why we say we are not here just to run services. We must join in the fight. We must take a stand in Jesus' name. That's why we talk about how light is made for darkness. Jesus says you're the light of the world, which means you have been specially designed to operate in darkness, not in the light. There's no need for light in light. Light operates the best and is the most useful in dark places. We as Christians, Jesus people, are not supposed to run away from difficulty, dangerous situations, and dark places. We are tailor-made to go into them. We are tailor-made to fight spiritual battles because the Spirit of God has been given to those who believe. We are tailor-made to go into the dark because we are the light of the world. And so we go and we either believe in the resurrecting, chain-breaking, life-changing power of Jesus' name or we don't. We either believe that we can step into places and speak life in Jesus' name and whatever the Lord wants to do in that situation, I have no idea. We pray and we believe. We act and we believe. We believe that Jesus is for us. We believe that greater is he is in us than he that is in the world. We believe that we are God's ambassadors of the king. We have all the king's authority. We believe this, and so now we confront spiritual battles. We go into dark places. We go into places of difficulty. We go into places of brokenness and messiness. We go into places that are dangerous. This is the Christian way. We step into the darkness, and we bring the light. We confront demonic forces that are at play, and we bring in the name of Jesus. And we are willing and able to exercise the power of Jesus, however that may look and however that may seem fit in the situation. But what I'm asking for us is to be aware and to think through, how is my life, this is so important, demonstrating the power of Jesus? How is it demonstrating the power of Jesus? Does my life have any power in it? Is the name of Jesus clearly powerful because of the way I use it? Is the lifestyle I'm choosing showing the power of the name of Jesus?
or does it look like a normal go to church, try to be a good person version of Christianity that doesn't need or exercise any power? Sometimes I think about this, especially in young adult ministry. I think the reason so many kids walk away from their faith in high school when they go to college is because they grew up with a form of Christianity that goes to church and tries to be a nice person. They never saw any power. They didn't see any life change. They didn't see God exercise his authority. They weren't a part of something significant. There was no spiritual element to what they were doing. So why in the world would they go back to that? This is what I'm calling us to be. This is why City Light exists, is for us to think through. Man, God has really equipped us to go be the light of Jesus in these places. We are designed to exercise power on his behalf. But what that requires is for us to step into the game. You cannot exercise your authority and your power apart from being in the battle. And so we must confront these things and be in there. We must demonstrate the power of God to actually save a soul. To demonstrate the power of God, to share words from our mouth, Jesus died and rose again for your sins, and let the power of God fall on those words. Let the power of God save souls. To begin to help people understand what does it mean to really follow Jesus in the midst of your issues and struggles, and to watch the power of God change habits, the power of God work miracles, to watch the power of God begin to move in people's hearts and lives. I do not, for the love, I do not want to spend my life without seeing God move in powerful ways. I do not want to spend my life just trying to be a good person. I do not want to spend my life just trying to avoid bad things. I do not want to spend my life just trying to grow a big church. I want to spend my life seeing the power of God. We want to spend our church life seeing the power of God. What did God send his people to do? We're going to see this next week. He, sent, he, he calls people to empower them and to send them to exercise the power of God. And we must be a people who are constantly demonstrating the power of God. Unmistakable. Not that everything always works out every time. Not that you see a victory at every step you take. Not that there aren't trials and tribulations and struggles and sometimes you're not seeing God work like you thought he would. Of course, all those things were true. But at the same time, we are a people of power who should see God work to save souls, change communities, and bring true revival to places. And if we don't believe this, we might as well stop shop. Because we're not here just to run services and try to tell each other, be nice this week. Be a good person. That's not what we came here to do. That's not what Jesus saved you to do. That's not what we're here for. And so I want to encourage us and challenge us to live a life that demonstrates the power of God. The question for us is, is there anything in my life that necessitates the power of God? Am I positioning myself that God must move? Otherwise, nothing happens. Right? So when I share the gospel... That's it. God has to move or nothing happens. But I've positioned myself to be in that spot. Right? When I step into darkness, God has to move to bring light or I've, I've, nothing happens. Are you positioning yourself to be in a place where you need the power of God? Are you putting your spot in, in conversations where you need the power of God? In places that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with, you need the power of God. In people's lives that are messy and you just can't counsel them into a better existence, you need the power of God. Are you positioning yourself to constantly need the power of God? Now, obviously, in your daily life with your own struggles and your own family, you obviously clearly every day need the power of God. What I'm asking you is your path of life, the decisions you're making, putting you in intentional places outside of your normal things where you need the power of God where you demonstrate the power of God. And then you're bringing people along with you to see how people exercise the power of God. What does it look like to be a person that has the power of God? As we close out, ultimately, Jesus took a stand against darkness and exercised his power when he died and rose again. 
Jesus stepped into the darkest place called sin and the wrath of God. He took it for you and for me. Then he rose again from the dead three days later to prove power and victory over the grave. And if you're here today and you've never received the good news that though you may be an outcast, God calls you a friend. Though you may be left out, God wants to invite you in. Though you may be sinful, and you are, and separated from God and an enemy, God wants to call you a beloved son or daughter if you would believe in and follow him today. God stepped into the darkest place for you so that you could step into the light. This is what Jesus has done. And your relationship with making a difference in the world, your process starts with repentance and faith in Jesus. And for all of us who have trusted in Jesus, I ask you, who are you bringing along with you? Are you teaching the truth of God, showing the heart of God, and demonstrating the power of God? This is what it looks like for a church to really change the world, not to have good strategies to execute good plans or to have the best structure in the world, great worship or great preaching. Real churches change the power of God through ordinary Christians teaching the truth of God, demonstrating the power of God, showing the heart of God every day in their ordinary life and bringing people along with them as they do it. This is how City Light will make a difference, which means it won't make a difference without you. It won't make a difference because the stage is great, because the performance is great. It won't make a difference because Sunday services are great. It'll make a difference when you and I decide to collectively enter into the battles that are in front of us, to go into the communities that are in front of us, to be inconvenienced, to be put at danger, to risk some things so that we can make a difference in the community. When we each decide to do that on our own, both to join together and to do that by ourselves in our spheres of influence, then God's blessing will come on City Light Church, which it already has because I think that's what we're attempting to do. So I just want to encourage you to continue to step in those places. The process doesn't work without you. The process doesn't work without your commitment Monday through Saturday. The process doesn't work without all of us joining in and doing this together. Y'all got it? Everybody good? Y'all want to see the power of God in this community? Yes, come on. Let's not just play games. Let's do that, all right? So let's pray. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Why don't you say, yes, Lord, we want to see that. We want to see that happen. So let's pray and let's ask God to do that for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, first and foremost, for stepping into the darkness for us. We thank you, Lord, for showing love and mercy and kindness in your heart to us. We thank you, Lord, for saving. We thank you, Lord, for moving in power. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done to bring us into the light. And we pray now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to be a people who both learn and teach on the job to be in the field, in the battle, every day, at home, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. God, be us a people who demonstrate the power of God. Lord, please would you do that? Would you make that a reality, something nobody can force into existence, but only by your spirit? We're dependent on you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. All right, y'all go ahead and stand up with me. As always, uh, we have communion in the back. I'd love for you to go back. If you are a follower of Jesus and remember how Jesus stepped into the dark for you by dying on a cross and rising from the grave, please go take communion and remember what Jesus has done for you. If you are not a follower of Christ, the, the thing for you now is to take Jesus, to believe in his name. We would love to pray with you. We're going to pray down front. Or if you need prayer for anything, not necessarily that, we would love to help you take a step towards Jesus in whatever way that looks like. Uh, So take a step of response towards the communion table, towards prayer. And we're also going to sing a song. Uh, It's called Breakthrough. And there's a part in the middle about how the presence and power of Jesus breaks strongholds and really does amazing things. And I want you to pray this and sing this as a prayer over our city. Okay, this is like a prayer through song that the Lord would do what we're asking in this place, okay? So y'all can do that. Let's do that together. Let's sing and let's respond to Jesus.